100% of entrepreneurs will be the bottleneck in their business. Not once, but several times. It happens to the best of us. It will happen to you and nobody talks about it until now. Hi, I'm Laurent Autain, the bottleneck coach. My job is to get entrepreneurs unstuck when they become the bottleneck in their business. But what does it mean to be the bottleneck? How to diagnose it? What are the symptoms? And most importantly, how to get out of it? These are some of the questions I cover in this podcast. So join me every week as I ask entrepreneurs to share their experiences on how they've cracked the entrepreneur bottleneck. This is episode 132. My guest is David Carter, the world's leading CEO mentor, chairman and founder at Enteriki Academy in the UK. David is a serial entrepreneur with a 40 plus year track record in creating innovative businesses. He has mentored leaders and influencers around the globe. So if you didn't know the definition, and I I have to admit, I had to look in the dictionary. Uh, Enteliki means the realization of potential. So Enteliki Academy is the Enteliki of David's career and his legacy project where he has gathered brilliant minds in education, coaching, and professional organizations to support minions in becoming the best version of themselves. David is the author of Breakthrough, Learn the Secrets of the World's Leading Mentor, and become the best you can be. Hi, David. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Laurent, for inviting me to join you. So I could ask you how to become the best you can be, but I'm afraid that it's got, the answer is going to take too long. It's very easy. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, tell me. How to become the best you can be? Um, when you write a book about becoming the best version of yourself, one of the you know, most frequently asked questions is, well, David, are you the best version of yourself? And I always say, yes, I am. And people are a bit shocked by the lack of modesty. And I say, I am the best version of myself today because I'm going to be a better version of myself than I was yesterday. Right. And so this is about daily acts of evolution. Every day, if you go to bed and you're a bit better than you were the day before, then by definition, today you're the best version of yourself. But that doesn't mean that you can't progress to become an even better version of yourself, which is your entelechy. Okay. But it does mean that you need to reflect on yourself every day then. Well, self-reflection every day. You know, I start every morning, I have 15 minutes to sit down before my day starts and think, right, what's in my diary today? What have I got to achieve today? What will make a difference today? And at the end of every day, I reflect on, did I achieve what I set out to achieve? Did it work out well? Could I have done any better? Was there something I didn't do, I should have done, could have done? And so, you know, I bookend my day with two periods of reflection. What do I want to achieve and did I achieve it? When we uh, first met, you told me that uh, entrepreneurship is a curse. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember. Um, you might have said that to several other people before. What, why is that? Well, um, I, I say it slightly sarcastically. Hmm. 
I think that, um, first of all, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, people think of uh, Elon Musk and Richard Branson and, you know, people like that. But actually, you know, I've got a, I live out in the middle of the countryside, in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, there's a guy who comes to cut my hair and he's a solopreneur. Um, he chose not to work in a salon and create his own business. So he has to do marketing and business development and manages books and accounts and deliver a good customer service. And so I think that anyone who employs themselves rather than is employed by someone else is an entrepreneur. And so it's a curse in the sense that you have to do everything. You have to find your business, execute your business, do the marketing, business development, the finances, um, everything. Um, and I say it's a joke. I mean, I love it. I, I, mm. I, I spent the first 10 years of my career working for a couple of big banks and I, I really enjoyed my time there. But after 10 years and a really good run, uh, I had a fantastic boss and a fantastic mentor who called me into his office in March at appraisal and bonus time and said, well, young man, record year, record results, record profits, record bonus, record share options. And everything. I think it's time you moved on. And I burst out laughing. And I said, why is that, sir? And he said, well, you're on the wrong side of the table, young man. Stop. <laughs> consulting and advising businesses and go and run one yourself and so that was in June of 1988 so 35 years ago so I've been an entrepreneur for the last 35 years and for the first year or so after I set up my first business I was still being called by headhunters you know come back and work here and, and then I realized after two years the calls got less and less mm. <laughs> um, and then you sort of have a wake up call one day that you're unemployable and you just got to keep going on your own. But I think that I, I say the word curse. I think actually it's not having been an entrepreneur that's been a curse in my career. Um, I've loved it. But the curse has been that I'm a inventive, creative problem solver. Mm -hmm. And you know, with IntelliKey, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, but I see these big problems that no one seems to have found a solution to. And I think, but there must be a solution to this. And so I'm quite dogged and determined to find a solution to these big problems. And I mean, from leaving the mentoring world of CEOs, gosh, six years ago to now, um, that journey um, where I gave up a fantastic income and a fantastic reputation and because I, I, I wanted to stop providing a service to a small number of expensive fee-paying CEOs mm. and democratise what we were doing and make it available to everyone in the organisation. And, you know, six years ago, I knew that's what I wanted to accomplish, but I hadn't got a clue how to achieve it. And so the first three or four years was trying to figure out a you know, viable solution. And the last three years has then been activating that solution. But when you launch something that has never been created or launched before, you've got two sales to do. One mm -hmm. is the new concept and the second is your product or service. 
Yeah. And the first one shouldn't be underestimated because human beings have a pigeonhole in a brain and they like to put everything new into an existing pigeonhole. Oh, it's like LinkedIn learning or it's like this. And no, it's not like any of those things. And eventually after you describe it to them, they're like, oh, right. OK, I see this is really brand new and innovative and unique. So now they've created a new pigeonhole for your business or your idea. And then you have to sell the product or the service. And so the curse has been that I've always, you know, the last five businesses I've set up have all been pioneering, innovative, first-to-market ideas. So I've had that double sell, the concept and the product or service. Is that what being an entrepreneur is, solving problems of, of no, finding no. solutions to problems? No, I, I, I really... I think the world uses the word entrepreneur with the Elon Musk and Richard Branson yeah. type persona. But, you know, in this country, in the UK alone, there's like 5.8 million people who run a one-man band business. And it doesn't matter whether they're doing gardening or hairdressing or whatever. Massage could be any, any business. Um, they are entrepreneurs just like Richard Branson is. You know, they don't eat or pay their rent at the end of the month unless they go out and win business and look after their customers. And just because someone like my hairdresser, he's decided he can look after 200 clients in the month and that's it. And he doesn't want to take on extra staff. He just wants to have a happy, fulfilled life and drive around the countryside and mm -hmm. look at the view and between hairdressing appointments. You know, he it's a lifestyle choice for him, but he also yeah. knows that that freedom and expression he could never have if he worked in a salon for someone else. So he's an entrepreneur just like Elon Musk is. And, and so that scale, you know, there are some entrepreneurs who want to be huge and global and gigantic, like Elon or Richard Branson or whatever. Uh, but there's thousands of people who end up employing 20 people or 50 people or 100 people and build a very successful business uh, on their own and they're just as successful entrepreneurs. I don't think you can say that, that bigness has anything to do with entrepreneurship. There are some mm. who push the envelope right to the end and then we all read about them in the newspapers and see them on the TV, but there's tens of thousands or millions in, in the UK of other entrepreneurs you know, who run the local fish and chip shop or the local organic garden down the road for me. They're all entrepreneurs. Yeah, and they will never build, build a, a big empire and that's absolutely okay. Correct. Yeah. So uh, talking about empire, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if you built an empire, but how did you become the world's leading CEO mentor? Um, well, I'm going to borrow a joke from uh, Richard Branson. I always loved this joke. <clears throat> he was once asked, you know, is Virgin Atlantic seriously the world's leading airline? And I'm going to paraphrase his answer. So when I'm asked, are you really the world's leading CEO mentor? I always say, well, I don't know if I am, but I'm certainly in the top one. <laughs> okay good answer <laughs> which is a way of not not, not answering at the same time <laughs> well, well, to, be, to, be, to be honest with you how that uh title came about i mean 
I did start a business in 1997 that 15 yeah. years later became genuinely the world's leading chief executive mentoring company with, you know, 68 mentors. We had clients in multiple countries around the world and there was no one to compare with us. And I was the most in-demand mentor uh, in, in the company and there was no one who did what we did and no one who'd achieved in that world what I had achieved in that period of time. Whether someone's overtaken me now, I've got no idea, but certainly it's time. But um, actually, um, when I wrote my book Breakthrough, uh, Matthew Kelly, who had been a great friend and mentor uh, for many years, he had written 19 books that had sold mm. more than a million copies and he'd sold one book that had sold 19 million copies and he really badgered and bullied me into writing this book and he kindly agreed to write the foreword and it was him who wrote in the book you know the world's leading CEO mentor and I was like oh gosh I don't, I'm not sure if you can write that and he said well you are who else is better than you or bigger than you or more famous than you and I was like well actually probably nobody's <laughs> So I sort of accepted the uh, the title. Anyway, that was a long time ago. I haven't mentored CEOs uh, as a professional activity for nearly six years now. So that's a bit like uh, a famous footballer who was, you know, the top goal scorer in the in Europe in 1997. Mm. He had that fame a long time ago, and uh, now he's gone on to do something completely different. And that's my story. Right. But I guess what you learn mentoring and coaching those CEOs, you've been applying that into your new business. Oh, right? absolutely. My mentoring career, 15 years with Merrick and then five years on my own afterwards, where I did, you know, work with a PR company. We built a brand, The Mentor. I did lots of work on television, radio, book tours, speaking tours. Um, but during that five years, the which I thoroughly enjoyed, traveled all around the world doing lots of exciting things. My real mission was how do I crack the code and democratize this? And mm. that was what I was really spending my, my time on. And so now I'm the chairman and founder of IntelliKey. We've got a fantastic team of 20 people in the UK, 12 in India, and we're democratizing our character development program to help companies become a company of character. And, you know, my job as founder and CEO has been to raise the money, put the team together, make sure I've got the right team members in the right seats on the bus. And we've got a great strategy and vision and mission and to empower my team to deliver that. So now it's not all about me. It's about me making sure we've got the funding and the team and the strategy and the go-to-market and overseeing all of that. You mentioned something interesting, is to help companies are to become a company of character. It's really, mm -hmm. really interesting the way you put that. So let me ask you, how? <laughs> how do you do that? How, how can entrepreneurs um, build something like that? And let me give you a little bit of context. So over the last 15 years, there has been a global um talent and skills crisis mm. you know from manufacturing to marketing uh employers just cannot find people with the right combination of technical skills and human work ready skills 
And that's because people at school or at college or at university were taught the technical skills, but they weren't taught those other human work-ready skills. Yeah. It's been incorrectly called the soft skills crisis. Mm. Um, and I won't unpack all of that. But essentially, what's been missing is a domain that sits underneath soft skills, which is character, character qualities. And so there are 54 character qualities that underpin the development of every skill, hard skill, soft skill, technical skill, whatever. And what we've done is codified a framework. So whatever the skill is you want to develop, we can show you the character qualities that underpin that. So let me give you an example. Yep. Lots of uh, employers talk about how millennial workforces don't have any comprehension about time management. You know, they turn up to work when they feel like it. They leave when they, you know, they spend a lot of time during the day checking their TikTok account or whatever. And um, so they can go off on a course and learn all about time management and the benefits of time management and ideas. And they can get a good score in the quiz at the end of the course. But that is assessing what they were taught, not what they've learned and applied. So if you look at time management, the character qualities that you need to be strong at, to be good at time management, are character qualities like um, accountability, responsibility, um, being disciplined, organized, efficient and reliable. Mm. And so those six character qualities are, are what we help people develop in order to become good at time management. So we're going to the domain below the soft skill of time management and helping the learner become organized, efficient, reliable, disciplined, accountable, and responsible. And employers just look at us and say, how come no one has ever thought of this before? And I think the answer is my generation, um, I'm 64 now, you know, and I went to a state school um, in, in London and, you know, we had sport and drama and music and debating and lots of, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Guides and Army Cadet Corps and Duke of Edinburgh Wars game. And all of those activities helped us learn those interpersonal skills and those mm. human skills. But because of cuts in education and emphasis on STEM, all of those activities have been eviscerated out of the state education system. So people now don't have the opportunities to learn to work in a team, lead a team, collaborate, communicate, be confident, be courageous, be adaptable, be resilient. And it's all been about passing exams. Um, and we all know, I mean, how much of what we were taught at school do we ever remember or use today? It's like negligible. Yeah, and, and there's lots of uh, research into the training industry that people go on a course and a week later they've forgotten almost everything that they were taught on the course and they don't ever end up applying it. So to answer your question, um, when we take on a, a company of character, um, we start off with a two-month intervention which is called Discover. Mm-hmm. And, and let's say the company's got a thousand employees. <clears throat> Every single person in the company will do a 180. We'll show them the 54 character qualities and say, which of these do you see as strengths in yourself? And which ones do you think you need to work on? 
which we call growth opportunities. Mm -hmm. The next step is we get them to get 10 people in their network, their colleagues, their boss, their friends, their family who know them well, to then do a 360 and say, well, here's what we see as your strengths and your growth opportunities. Yeah. Well, just those two, you know, here's how I see myself and here's how other people see me. That is such rich data that no one's ever seen before. Mm. Then we ask them, what do you think the strengths and growth opportunities of the company are today? And what would you like the strengths to be in a year's time? Well, that set of data insights has got 15.7 million touch points that we put together in a 100-page report for the company to say, here's what you've got today, and here's you know, what you're going to need to have to get to where you want to get to. And, 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 we, and that's called a character kaleidoscope. And then the character key is an individual report of some 70 pages for every single individual in the organization, which shows them, here's how you see yourself, here's how others see you, here's how you map against the current company state and the desired company state. And we create an individual personalized learning journey for every single employee. And, and the, the future desired state, the company is saying, gosh, if we could get more people in the company to be this or that or the other character quality, then that would drive our performance. It would improve our productivity and our profitability. They've got a map of here's where we are today. Here's where we want to get to in the future. And every individual employee has a personalized learning journey to help them get to the future state that would drive that company performance improvement. So the discover phase is two months where we collect all the data, create all the data insight reports, share it with the company and create their go from here to go to their strategy. And then the second part of the program is transform, mm. uh, which is a 12 month program to help them get from where they are. And that involves ongoing consultancy from our expert consultants, continued updated data insights and uh, a mobile app in the pocket of every employee with their personalized learning journey already baked in so they can then achieve the growth in the character qualities that they need to get to where the company and they want them to get to over the next year. Well, that, that sounds very uh, thorough, very complicated too at the same, at the same time, but it, uh, when, so it, when... there's a it, it, we've actually designed it deliberately yeah. so it's incredibly simple for the learner okay and actually all of the heavy lifting all of the machine learning and the ai that goes into creating those data dashboards for the individual and the company is all done all the heavy lifting is done by us so that it's deliberately simple for the mm. company and the employee when, when you were talking about that, that that first first part which is the 180 uh aspect of it where people need to uh, you know assess themselves my first question that i had in mind was what's the discrepancies do you see you know how well do people know themselves um well that that's a bell curve that's a, a spectrum uh, there are some people who have a pretty much 100% match between how they see themselves versus how other people see them. And the, the other end of the spectrum is there's almost zero overlap. Mm. Um, and so 
part of what this uh, discover process does for the individual is significantly heighten their self-awareness. Mm. Um, so here's how I see myself. Gosh, and that could work in, in two different ways. Um, it could be that all of your colleagues and all of your friends and everybody sees you as being very kind, um, but you you didn't see yourself that way. And, and so it's like, okay, well, maybe I can lean into that more now. Um, but it could be that you see yourself as kind and nine of your assessors think you need to work on being kind. It's like, okay, well, there's a discrepancy there. So I think it, it it's a fantastic tool because it helps people develop their self-awareness very quickly okay well i see myself like this other people don't i need to work on that and i can exactly see what the benefits of me working on that would be which gives me motivation uh to achieve the desired outcomes i like the content of these conversations because what i see what i see a lot within entrepreneurship or you know copyrights in general is that we tend to recruit and promote people based on their technical skills. And we completely, we completely forget about uh, their character, what you were, what you were to, to paraphrase you. And the best example that I know, for instance, is, uh, you know, when, you re when a company wants to promote, uh, uh, to, to, to recruit a sales director, what are they going to do first? Are they going to take the best salesperson and promote him, promote him or her as a sales director. But being a sales director, you know, it's not necessarily being the best at sales. It's it's, but it's also it's also a lot about having the the, the right human skills so that you can supervise other people. I I must have made I don't know a hundred recruitments in the last you know, ten plus years, and you know you get the shortlist from the headhunter. Mm. The, the, the 10 most like likely people to fit your requirements. And apart from the fact that one person is called Janet and one is called John, 99% of the time you get 10 CVs that look identical. Um, and they've all got five years experience of doing this and five years of experience of doing that. And they've all got a degree and a good, a good degree from a good university and blah, blah, blah. And so they've clearly got the technical skills to do the job. But what you're hiring for is, will they fit into my team, into our culture uh, and with yeah. our customers? And you can't find that out from a CV. Well, our product has a feature called Signature, which people can post their own individual signature on their LinkedIn or on their CV and says, well, my CV says what I've done, where I've worked, how long I worked there for, and what I achieved. But signature shows you who I am in terms of my character. And look, I've earned six badges. So if you hire me, you're getting someone who has got a badge collaborative and influential and creative and analytical and whatever the character qualities are. And so what we're helping organizations do now is hire smarter and saying to them, okay, well, you know the technical specification that you need, but why don't you identify the character qualities that you need and then get the candidates who are applying to you to do a 180 and a 360 or, or a 360 so they can talk to you about the character qualities that they bring to the role, not just the technical skills. 
Yeah. And so we've short-circuited the um, interview process by providing the recruiter with all of the information about the character of a candidate um, and uh, in a way that it's never been achieved before. But that's 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 interesting because because why why is that why has it never been done before? There is an exercise that I I like to do with my my clients, is that I ask them you know to describe the ideal candidate, for it doesn't matter regardless of the position doesn't matter. When they do that exercise every time, but absolutely every time, eighty to eighty five percent, if not more, of the answers are are you know soft skills or interpersonal skills uh, criteria. It's not technical skills, but everything that we do, so it's the entire opposite of everything that we do in the company of, of you know, why as companies, organization, why are they so focused on technical skills? Well, I think both are required, but historically people have only interviewed people based on the technical skills. Um, and then a year later, when they brought in that sales director who was really good at selling, but isn't any good at managing or leading a team. Yeah. That's because they looked at the wrong things when they were interviewing that person. But there's also another thing as well, which a lot of research has gone into. Even if someone writes down, well, this person needs to be empathetic, collaborative, and whatever the character qualities are. Uh, when they call them in for an interview, they project onto the candidate uh, in their questions and answer session. Oh yes, right. That demonstrates that they're collaborative. That then, then they're not. They've got no third party evidence. And what we provide is that third party evidence. And so you know, people aren't very good at recruitment because if they were, we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. But also there's an expediency issue. You know, if uh, you need to hire 20 new people in a team or a department quickly um, and you get 20 good candidates, well, let's get them started. And people sort of rush past on their expedience. So have we got the right 20 candidates? Have they got the, the raw material that we need? Now, even if they don't have the raw material that you need, by becoming a company of character, we can help those individuals develop the character competence that they need to succeed in that organization okay so the main message here is focus on character people's character <laughs> well um the word entelechy was coined by aristotle and as you yeah. said earlier the entelechy of a person is the ultimate version of that person with all of their potential fully actualized aristotle also um coined another phrase is that character determines destiny and what he meant by that was that wherever we end up in life is a direct function of our character and uh, you know elon musk ends up being a serial multiple entrepreneur with a big big business because of his character and my hairdresser ends up with a one-man band business because of his character you know and, and, and there's not one that's better than the other they're just different mm -hmm. But it is our character that determines our destiny. But the thing that people have made a big mistake about is that you can dial up your character. You can be more kind, more analytical, more creative, 
more collaborative, more pioneering, more whatever. And we help people develop those capabilities to become more of the character qualities that would make them develop their entelechy even further. And this ties back into the beginning of the uh, to the beginning of the conversation where we were talking about self awareness. Correct. Know 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 yourself so that you can build your character. So let's change gear a little bit. I am the uh, bottleneck coach. I help entrepreneurs get unstuck when you know bottleneck hits. Uh, you've been a serial entrepreneur. When was the last time you were the bottleneck in your business? Genuinely, I, I was thinking about this before the interview this morning. I can only really think of one example. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was a long time ago. It was probably uh, 25 years ago. And Merrick, the mentoring company that I built up, was maybe five years old. And we'd already got an office in Australia and in America. And, and um, because the first four or five years, it was a bit hand to mouth and um, you know, we were growing and building the business all organically. Um, I insisted on signing every check and authorizing every payment and all the rest of it. But because I was traveling so much, um, I ended up being a bottleneck because, you know, I was in America the day I needed to sign payroll or whatever. And uh, Jane Hunt, my, my deputy, said, said to me one day, you know, you're the bottleneck in this organization and you, you need to delegate uh, to someone, presumably me, to be able to make payments and sign the checks. And I was like, oh, my God, giving up control of the bank account. Yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, she said, well, I've got a six-month transition plan and we'll do it very gently and you can do it and I can shadow you and, and then over time you can build up confidence. And Now, I trusted this woman 100%. Anyway, at the end of a week, I was like, oh, my God, she's doing this much better than I was doing <laughs> before. So I handed over the whole reins to her and the bottleneck disappeared. Um, I was inspired probably, gosh, 15, 20 years ago, I don't remember when, and I'm sure you've yeah. probably heard this quote yourself, um, by a quote from Steve Jobs, um, the founder of Apple. And his the line was, uh, we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people who can tell us what to do. Yeah. And that really inspired me, that line. And so ever since then, and ever since that episode with Jane, I've actually hired really smart people and empowered them. Uh, and I've tried to get out the way. And so I genuinely think, you know, maybe my team would turn around and say, oh, David, you're delusional. <laughs> but uh, I really think I'm not the bottleneck. And I, and I really make sure I get out the way and hire good people and let them get on and do the job and tell me what we need to do. Yeah, it's one of the most common bottlenecks when everything is tied around around you. Uh, but if Jen, I not told you anything, what would have happened? Uh, it probably would have blown up and someone would have resigned because then got paid on time or I don't know. And, and I would have thought, oh, gosh, I, that was my fault. And, and I probably would have dealt with it, you know, in a different way. But mm. thank goodness, you know, because I'd hired a really good person like Jane, who was amazing um she she because i've always had two mantras in my business every business i've ever had one is uh join the dots 
And so, you know, don't come and talk to me about something that involves someone else without involving them in it. So make mm. sure, you know, that you join the dots with between sales and marketing or product or whatever. Um, and so I make sure that people join the dots. So I might need to sign off on something, but I make sure that everyone who's involved, all the stakeholders are involved in that conversation and decision. Yeah. But my other mantra is the duty to dissent. And, okay. you know, we all know that in an organisation, the boss has the final word and, you know, everyone's scared of the boss and all the rest of it. And I've tried to dissipate that by saying, you know, Laurent, if you've got something on your mind that you think we're doing wrong or I'm doing wrong, you have a duty to dissent and I have to make it safe for you or anybody else in the company say, David, I think we're making a mistake here. We should be turning left, not right for these reasons. And and I think that duty to dissent part of our culture and hiring people and letting them, you know, empowering them to get on with it is actually one of the secrets of our business and our own culture. Mm. Uh, we have a bunch of very smart, very clever people, uh, most of them quite opinionated as well. But the one thing they all have in common is they want the company to do well, that everybody's signed up to the mission and the vision and the purpose and the values of the company. And so we've created a safe space for people to say, I don't agree for these reasons and a better solution would be this for these reasons. So you've got to say all that stuff, not just I don't like that idea. And I think we do come to the right conclusions faster and better. Um, and, and so it, it doesn't really happen because I, but years and years ago when I started off on this, you know, we walk out of a meeting and someone will come up to say, oh, I really didn't agree with what Harry said. And it's like, right, let's go back in the meeting and say what you just said to me in front of Harry. Mm. You know, if we're going to have this duty to dissent, it can't be in the corridor. It's got to be in the meeting room. Amazing. And this is how you build people with character. <laughs> That's the man. We close the loop. <laughs> Great. So this is a great way to end this uh, podcast episode. Just one more question for you. How can people contact you and where can they find your book? Um, my book is on Amazon, uh, Breakthrough by David C.M. Carter. Um, and the best way to contact me is uh, through my LinkedIn, which is David C.M. Carter um, at Entelechy Academy. But you can find me if it's David C.M. Carter. I'm the only David C.M. Carter on LinkedIn. Um, and obviously we'd love people to follow us at Entelechy Academy on LinkedIn where we're posting updates, newsletters, white papers and things all the time um, but also go to the Entelechy Academy website um, and have a look around there and if anybody in your audience is interested in finding out more about how to become a company character then have a look at our website, but contact me through LinkedIn and we will set up a demo and, and get you started. Amazing. Thank you very much, David, for your time today. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me, Laurel. Enjoyed the chat and uh, have a great day. And thank you for listening. Interviews Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribe now so you don't miss any episodes. See you next time. Bye for now.